We uh, had quite the week last week as our family, uh, Carol and I, got to spend some time with our family in Hawaii. And uh, you probably have heard a lot of times that the journey is just as important as the destination. And we even went on a little bit of a journey where we were promised that the destination was kind of so-so. It was the journey there that was the most important part. And, and uh, God did not disappoint as we got to experience his creation, just experience the beauty of our Lord as we were there in Hawaii. Um, the journey that one takes in life is often also needs to be important in the life of the church. And the it's important in the life of the church of the Nazarene. It's important to us here in uh, Pekin First. For example, we invest a lot in our children at PFN. Amen? And uh, Kid Zone is set up to assist our families uh, uh, to introduce our children, your children, your grandchildren to Jesus, and then to help them develop that relationship with him. Refuge does a great job of helping that teenager make sense of their faith. And ask that question, where does my faith fit in in a society that teaches that I'm supposed to be self-reliant or that all truth is relative? Where the church actually teaches that we are to be reliant on God and that there is an absolute truth and his name is Jesus Christ. And we continue to provide then for adults with many opportunities to deepen our faith and worship and in Sunday school and other discipleship opportunities. But somewhere along the way, the church has lost what that discipleship actually needs to look like. Uh, it's happened not just on a local level, but I think this has happened on a worldwide level as well. And I think it's happened on a denominational level with the Nazarene church. At some point, we thought that in order to disciple somebody, that they first had to be a Christian. And so we offer classes and studies with Christians in mind. And those classes are important. They are needed. They are useful. But we're missing the point of biblical discipleship. And that is that all of us are on a journey with Christ. Whether or not we have come to the point in our life that we believe or not. So discipleship is not just for believers. For discipleship is actually part of our journey of faith. And therefore, even those that don't know Jesus yet can be discipled. A few times a year, I have a... Uh, uh, a sermon series that it's going to be easy for anybody, whether they started a journey with Jesus or not, to, to come in and to ask questions, to explore what faith means. And we started out doing that this year with our, our on the series uh, called Hidden, where we looked about mental health. And what does our faith have to do in this uh, mental struggles that we seem to be going through? And then a few times a year, we're going to offer a sermon series that's a little bit deeper, and uh, we would say it has a little bit more meat on it. And we just finished that series coming out of the blood covenant. But most of our preaching here is going to be a mixture of both. And we purposely keep that in mind that here in our church, maybe in our sanctuary today, or those that are watching online today, that we're going to have both people who have believed for a long time or people that are still exploring what that means. 
And so we have made some changes with that in mind here at PFN. Mainly, we have changed Pastor Callie's responsibility here at Pekin First. And she has shifted from women's ministry to helping us understand what discipleship is all about. But before she comes up here, I just want to back up a little bit and explain some of the changes, knowing that not all of us in this room understand what our denomination, maybe the governmental system of our denomination, and how we have changed in regards to discipleship. See, the Church of the Nazarene is a global church. We are around this entire globe, but we are also here locally. And every church in our denomination and locally has three different auxiliary departments, NMI, NYI, and SDMI. NYI stands for Nazarene Youth International. And so we devote an entire department for the, the journey that our teenagers are on. And we are blessed to have Bradley Hazelwood as our NYI president. Uh, he is the NYI representative to our local church board. But he also serves under a youth pastor. Now, not every Nazarene church has a youth pastor. In fact, just in our district here in northwestern Illinois, there's only two churches that have youth pastors. And we are fortunate to have one of the absolute best here at PFN. We also have the opportunity to get to send him onto his next assignment in this uh, endeavor that he's going to have in Olathe, Kansas. Um, eventually, yes, we will hire a new youth pastor that will help our youth on their journey as well. But until that happens, we have super talented and dedicated adults working in refuge, and we still have our president, Brad, who's leading us even after Pastor Josh is serving in Olathe. Brings us to NMI. NMI is Nazarene Missions International. It's a missional arm of the Church of the Nazarene. And locally, NMI helps educate us about what the Lord is doing across the globe. <clears throat> Yet here at PFN, we are also giving our NMI council a little bit more responsibility than just coming and teaching us about missionaries in a foreign land. Our local NMI will be in charge of local compassionate ministries. They will spearhead how we are going to go out and we are going to take care of our community. They're going to help us get to know Pekin and the surrounding areas. And they're going to help us be known in our community. Our local NMI council is going to be uh, choosing their own president. And that person will serve as the representative on our church board for missions. And that brings us to SDMI, which stands for Sunday School and Discipleship Ministries International. <coughs> Excuse me. For years, the Church of Nazarene has had a focus on discipleship. But did you know that at one time in the history of the Church of Nazarene, uh, we did not count anybody who came into worship? Not that any you weren't important, but we only counted those who came to Sunday school. We did not count worship numbers. 
I grew up in a, in a church, and I've had the, the opportunity to pastor uh, those churches. Do you remember those Sunday school boards, the the usually wooden boards with the numbers so you can slide in and out and announce how many people were at uh, <coughs> at worship last week and how many people were at Sunday school and usually how much we collected for the offering. Did anybody grow up in that, in that church that had those? All right. At one point, uh, the Sunday school number was always higher than the worship number. Somewhere along the line, somewhere in time, that began to change. Now, I served in three different churches <coughs> Excuse me. before here. They each had those little wooden boards up on the wall, and they reported the worship numbers, and they reported the Sunday school numbers. Thank you, Ben. Love you, brother. Um, but uh, I took that board down in all three churches. So I told the church board that that sign will go back up once again when we regain our outlook on discipleship. When the numbers of, of people that we are reaching and teaching and discipling about Jesus is higher than the number of people that gather to worship on a weekly basis, then the board can go back up. And here's the reason why. As uh, that worship number rose, <coughs> for some reason, the discipleship number sank. I believe it's partly because we have turned our focus from discipling all people to discipling only those that sit next to us in the pew. Only those who look like us. We shifted to only discipling those people who dress like us and think like us. And the time is uh, upon us now that our faith requires us to reach people beyond these doors. It's time for us to recognize that our job as Christians is to disciple the nations, whether or not they believe in Jesus or not. And so we made some changes here locally. Pastor Kelly is living her best life now as she is entering this new phase of ministry and she is now our discipleship pastor. That is amazing to me. But that leaves us with some questions about SDMI. What does SDMI do now that we have a discipleship pastor? Well, just like, <coughs> just like uh, we have NYI, President, we also have an SDMI chair who is Amanda Brown, and she is a representative on our church board for discipleship ministries, and she will serve under the direction of our pastor of discipleship, Pastor Kelly, and the SDMI board will also serve with Amanda and with Pastor Kelly, but part of the SDMI is also Kid Zone and Refuge as they report to this board. And men's and women's ministry are now part of this board. And they will have a, a representative reporting there as well. Now, I've spoken to our, <coughs> our leaders of men's and women's ministry. And part of their job is to uh, fulfill the key responsibilities of what the SDMI board is responsible for. Two of those, as I looked up, they, all of our constitution of our 
Church of Nazarene is contained in a uh, little book called the Church Manual. And, and in there it has uh, the job requirements for the SDMI board. Two of those are establishing Christian homes and developing Christian character. Imagine now our men's and women's ministries helping us as husbands and wives, as mothers and fathers. That's going to be an incredible change for us. Imagine SDMI helping us to develop our Christian character as we journey through this life of faith together. <coughs> and it brings me to the next point. And this is what's happening now globally, or at least denominationally for the Church of the Nazarene. The global Church of the Nazarene has recognized that Sunday school is one of many different ways that we disciple one another. And so this last week, the Church of the Nazarene has announced that there is going to be a name change for SDMI. <clears throat> From now on, the auxiliary known as SDMI is now going to be NDI, which is just Nazarene Discipleship International. And I think that helps us see that our job is to disciple all people, not just those who come to a Sunday school class. It helps us to see that if we are in here or if we are watching online, that we have a job to do out side of these walls in Pekin and the surrounding areas. How we live Monday through Saturday is going to get an equal place at the table at PFN and the Church of the Nazarene. And so would you do something for me? Would you just go ahead and put one hand? We're going to do it just like we did in Kid Zone. Would you put one hand up like this? Would you put one hand up like this? And I want you to welcome our brand new discipleship pastor, Pastor Callie Lennon-Velter. You're so silly. Okay, I got to get my Jesus real quick. Hold on. Where is he at? I love you too. <laughs> this is Jesus. You stay right there. At Peak and First Nazarene Network, we continue to experience great, powerful moments of the life of this church. From last March until now, we had witnessed, get this, 10 new believers, salvations, 15 baptisms, 25 sanctifications, and 250 Sunday school ministry numbers. Those are unique numbers, meaning they're not double counted. We are eternally grateful to have your family be a part of the kingdom family here at PFN. And those numbers are wonderful. We count those names as great miracles of our miracle working God of the life that he has done, given to them. But my desire, my personal desire for PFN, for its people, the children of God, is to ignite a movement of passion for Christ that is too numerous to count for a power-living, spiritual-transforming, life-breathing pathway 
through Jesus by the way of intentional discipleship. Because guess what? You are a disciple. Discipleship is a passion of mine. It's a vital connecting source of Jesus. And the staff here and the leadership at PFN, we want to create a stronger culture of discipleship, whether it's one-on-one, one-on-two, or in groups at homes. So guess what? Jesus did it both ways, and he did awesome at it. And I believe that we can be just like Jesus. Be in the forefront of what we do. I am anticipating a new season of growth. And I am super, super, super optimistic that God is calling us to new and fertile soil. Do you believe that? I'm going to move this up a little bit. It's kind of wobbly. I'm hoping and I'm praying that through this process, we will grow stronger, developed roots by calling on new leaders, willing leaders, to help recruit new leaders to teach, to equip, to train obedient leaders to disciple well. I believe God is calling us to greater things, but we must stay very, very connected to Jesus Christ because guess what? He's our chief cornerstone. He has laid the foundation on what we are to build our faith upon. And in him, we are joined together to rise to become a holy temple in the eyes of the Lord. And in him, you have become a vessel in which the Holy Spirit lives. That's a powerful promise and an authority. Do you believe that? We have this authority of the living spirit of God dwelling in us. We have the living spirit of God dwelling in us. Can I get an amen on that one? That's a powerful, powerful statement. And we pick this up in the passage of Matthew 28, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to go to verse 16, and it says this. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So this passage, it teaches us a lot about Jesus. It teaches us about the disciples and it will teach us a lot about ourselves. There's four things I want to cover in this passage. And we have this um, in your sermon outline notes. The first one is this. Jesus says that he has all authority, all authority, all authority on earth and in heaven. There's nowhere that Jesus does not have authority. And he's letting us know in this passage that he's the boss that he has all authority, and we are to do what the boss says. Point number two. So he says, therefore, that's a great connecting word, and it means do accordingly. So he has all authority, and now he's telling us, I need you to do something and to do it accordingly. And what he says us, what he tells us to do, he says, go, leave from here, and make disciples. Jesus said, make disciples. 
not to make more of ourselves, but to make disciples. Now, I want to pause here just for a minute to give some um, contextual definition clues. Now, I get it. Sometimes as Christians, we can tend to speak Christianese. You know what I'm talking about? We like to use our own language. So for all intents and purposes, I'm going to describe what a disciple is and what an evangelist is. So a disciple is similar to a student or an apprentice. It's a disciplined learner. It's someone who follows the teachings, the life, and the study of Jesus. It's a humble walk to Jesus, next to Jesus every single day. And he teaches us every single day. We must listen what he's teaching. Discipling in the Christian sense is the process of making one become more like Christ. And one of the most fruitful ways to do that is to do life with one another. Now, an evangelist is one who shares the good news of the gospel in order to convert others to Christianity by our testimony of what he's done in our life. And you can't be a disciple without being an evangelist. And combined, together, it is a journey of digging deeper in the life of Christ so that we may become more like him. And guess what? That's discipleship. It's an onward movement of making Jesus known. Now, the goal is not to just know. The goal is to do something with our no. We are a great commission church. As a global community of faith, we are commissioned to take the good news of life, the life of Jesus Christ, to people everywhere, all people everywhere, and to spread the message of scriptural holiness throughout the lands. Meaning that I know Jesus and I want others to know him. It's really simple. Now, Jesus is coming, and we can't just look busy. We actually have to be busy doing his work. Now, number three, this is our third point. Jesus says, actually, Jesus commands to teach and obey everything that I have commanded. Hey, Jesus said it. I didn't say it. Be mad at him. He commands us to teach he commands us to obey because Jesus has commanded a mission. Now we can, get ten, we can tend to get hung up on the first part of the passage of um, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit because it appears as such a huge monumental uh, glory spirit praiseworthy moment for the apostles and it was and it can be for us too. But here's the thing. You don't got to go all the way to Guatemala to find your one. You don't have to trek through the hills of Ecuador to disciple someone. You can go right across the street to your neighbor's house with a plate of chocolate chip, cook, chip, chip cookies and those two together and to read together the word and together grow deeper in the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ together. Because Jesus says this in John chapter eight, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
That is fuel for effective and faithful living to develop a holiness character rooted and established in the truth of Jesus. And it helps us and it helps others develop it too. That is fuel for effective and faithful living. This is why Jesus tells us to simply obey his teachings, to just teach and obey. So Jesus says that he has all authority to do accordingly, which is to teach and obey. And finally, number four, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now in verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him but they doubted. They saw him, this is after the resurrection, and they worshiped him, but yet they doubted him. The disciples literally saw Jesus with their own eyes, his pierced hands, pierced feet, the empty tomb, and yet they doubted. That's fascinating to me. But here's the thing, Jesus does the next best thing in the account of Luke in 24, it says that Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He opens up their mind to understand his word. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem you will be my witnesses of these things. Did you hear that? That the Messiah, our savior, he suffered death, rose on the third day, conquered sin, defeated death for us to be saved by grace for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can herald his great name and power to everyone until the end of time and to know that Jesus will be with us forever. If that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I do not know what it is. We cannot doubt that he did that for us. We cannot doubt it, he did that for us. Yet even in our doubt, Jesus says, I will be with you. Even in our doubt, Jesus says, I need you to share the good news of salvation for all. Even in our doubt, Jesus says, I will build something in you that not even the gates of hell will ever prevail. And that is a powerful, powerful statement of grace. That is some good news right there. Are we alive this morning? I can't hear you. Are you alive this morning? Because what you want to hear something? We were once dead and now we're not. We are alive. Are you not grateful and thankful for that? Because here's the thing. I know what I was saved from and I know what I'm saved to do. Do you? I know what the Lord saved me from and what he has saved me to do. For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. But to us, 
who are being saved, it is the power of God, says 1 Corinthians, that I was saved, you were saved, restored, and made alive by the powerful, wonder-working love, and God gets all the glory and praise for that. I did not do that. He did it. And Paul, he's my boo, I love you too, honey, but Paul, he says this, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead, but he saved us by this grace. I want to talk about this grace that he saved us while we were dead. That makes no sense. It's a prevenient grace. It's a supernatural kindness that God has poured over us and in us, and it precedes human decision, meaning I don't even know what's happening, but he's gone before with his supernatural kindness and saved me. And guess what? It has a plan. Even when we can't see it, or we don't even know what's happening, Paul is saying essentially to this, that I was once a slave to sin, I was lost and I was orphaned and I was blinded to the things that were truly righteous and holy. And those are in the cards of provenient grace. But it's the saving grace that calls us to become different. We are saved. Now we must act different. And this saving grace, it saved us from ourselves. Because we don't have to really give the enemy a lot of credit sometimes. We're our own enemy sometimes in the way that we think and what we do and how we act. And the Lord and our Lord saved us essentially from ourselves. For this sin does not rule over us because Jesus is our Lord now. Remember when he said he had all authority in heaven and on earth? He has all authority on everything, including us. And he saved us for a purpose. Now let's face it, God did not save us because we're so lovable, right? He didn't save us because we are just awesome people. He graced us with unmerited favor and undeserved kindness. We didn't deserve it, but I'm sure glad we got it (laughs) because God ultimately has a plan. He's got the schematic. God has done his part, and now we we must do ours. We know what we've been saved from, and now we must help others on the same path. Ephesians 2.10 through verse 12 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's that provenient grace. Therefore, remember that you were formerly Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised. Remember that time when you were separate from God, that you were excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without a God in the world? Paul is recounting this law once again. Remember when you were Gentiles? Remember when you were just less than marginalized people, the old self? Remember that you were not God's chosen people? Do you remember that? Yeah, thank you for reminding us, Paul. I remember that. But then he quickly changes his tune and he says, he says that now Jesus has made a way for all to know him as Savior and as Lord. A Lord has all authority. 
And it's through his blood that now we get to do his mission. Yet sometimes, whether our own ignorance or just not knowing, maybe there hasn't been a breakthrough that hasn't occurred, but some of us still kind of live out of Gentile perspectives. Gentiles were counted as aliens, strangers, foreigners, having no hope, no promise, excluded from God even in this world. And some people believe in God, but they believe that he lives in heaven, has nothing to do with their life here on earth. And with that, a person can still believe in God, but not have any spiritual foundation of his truth and his spirit dwelling in them for the purposes he created them for to live on this earth. They might believe that they're equipped to handle any circumstance, any problem that comes their way until a health crisis, death of a loved one, a financial setback, unforeseen circumstances without an end, a wayward child. And when those occur, we can see and tell who has a solid foundation, who's not on shifting sand, who indeed has built their life and lifestyle on and in, and who is carrying them through those storms of life. Because let me tell you this, when the big bad wolf Satan comes to knock on your door three times, he's not going to ask nicely, hey, can I come in and wreck havoc in your life? He's not going to do that. He's not going to say, hey, I'm coming over for a cup of sugar. He's not doing that. He's going to blow your house down. He's going to blow your house down. And I guess it depends on what your house is made of in the first place, right? Some of us have some pretty solid structures. Some of us have some really strong, strong foundations, sturdy spiritual homes built on great foundations. But some of us have homes made of sticks and straw and any gust of wind will threaten your house. How many Masons do I have in the house? And I don't mean Chad and Leah. <laughs> and I don't mean Freemasons. I'm not talking all that. Don't come at me like that, please. Masonry workers. Anybody? Anybody? Does anybody know the trade? Know the trade? My husband? Yeah. Masons are skilled laborers and tradesmen and women. They have rather difficult work. They operate sizable equipment. They lift heavy materials all day, lay, all day long. They bend and they stand in uncomfortable positions at times. And depending on the scope of the project, it can be pretty grueling and intense work. It requires a focused mindset because it's technical and it's complex work. They have certain tools that they use for the job and they build beautiful structures like the one that you're sitting in today. And a mason is specialized in this field. Uh, for, they have worked in this field for a long time. And he or she, they just didn't, it didn't come overnight. It has taken them a long time. Nothing a skilled mason creates is ever casual. It takes discipline and sacrifice. Many years of training as an apprentice. Let's check this out. I googled this. Masonry apprenticeship includes instruction in reading and interpreting blueprints the history of the trade, and mathematics. 
which is the study of quantity, structure, and space. Apprentices learn with special tools and materials used in that trade. The specifics are covered on on-the-job training, depending on the type of masonry the apprentice is studying. Now, there's three kinds of uh, masonry workers, if you will. There's a stonemason, a cement mason, and a bricklayer. A stonemason is someone who takes a piece of rock or stone and shapes it into a geometric shape in order to create a structure or a work of art. A cement mason spends a significant amount of time learning how to set forms, establish grades, and spread and finish the cement to create steps and trim. And then a bricklayer. This apprentice learns how to clean and repair existing masonry, perform waterproofing, construct walls, arches, columns, and decorative patterns. Isn't it fascinating to hear about that trade? Doesn't it sound very parallel to discipleship? Because I see that. Do you? I certainly see that. When I look out into our congregation this morning, and I see all the lives before me in the Christian sense as disciplers, I can see stonemasons, cement masons, and bricklayers. I can see how someone would have thought of me in such a hard and high regard to smooth out my edges, to help seal some of my brokenness, some of my cracks, and to build up my faith brick by brick by brick. And we as a church have that to offer so many people. And Jesus commands us to do it. We have spent way too much time neglecting this very fundamental and foundational command that Jesus tells us, commands us to do. We've offered up studies and classes as discipleship methods, and that's good. Don't get me wrong. That's good and that's relevant. We need that. But at the end of our study, what are we doing with what we learned? What are we actually doing with what we learned? Is it um, deep and transformative in the way that our life looks different than six weeks prior? Have we only scratched the surface of the glacial experience of sensing God, but haven't gone deeper with what Jesus is asking you to do from that study? Are you and others growing into discipleship or disciplers? Christ-like disciplers, or is it just a veneer? Is it an inch deep and a mile wide of Christianity? Shallow. I'm sorry, but we got to go here. Can I? Can I? Can I go a little bit deeper? Is this uncomfortable? Does your discipleship look like cladding? It either it does or it doesn't. <laughs> Stone cladding is a thin form of either natural or synthetic panels. And I think there might be some images coming. You may see these at like the big box home improvement stores, uh, or you, maybe you have it on your own home. But these panels, they look like real stones. And some are, but they, they are manufactured. They appear to be solid and resilient. And there's so many that you can choose from. They even have some of their DIY, do it yourself. 
And I'll admit, they're super cost effective. They're way cheaper than having a mason come over and lay brick by brick to, to truly hire someone to do that. They look nice from the road, from the driveway, until you kind of walk up and you sense this ain't the real deal. When you get close to the surface, this is not real. The appearance is alarming because you've recognized it's faux stone with no depth. No degree of pressure could handle it. It was not meant to handle load-bearing weight. The surface is shallow, only a covering. And when storms come, which they will, what will happen? We can be assured that if any storm with raging winds threatens this beautiful home that was built only on appearance without a solid foundation, flying debris will penetrate the veneer of epoxy and polymer. We can count on that. So why don't we recognize this in our spiritual lives? And maybe we do. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid to reveal any signs of weaknesses, vulnerabilities with someone. You know, Pastor Callie, I don't know how to do it. I'm really, really scared. I don't know how to study the word. I don't know anything about the Bible. It's really hard to understand, and I just, I don't think I'm equipped to, to share that with someone. I know. It's okay. Neither did I. It can be daunting and intimidating. And we doubt our ability of doing the most natural thing that we were created to do, which is to connect and to learn together. Because if we were being honest with ourselves, we would have to take responsibility with that honesty. And perhaps we don't want to, or maybe know how to. And here's the thing, ignoring our emotions turns our back on reality. If we ignore God, we're turning our back on him. And we have to be very, very careful of living isolated in our silos even our Bible study silos. It's only us, nobody else. We have to talk about that. We need to stop hiding behind our cladding and begin building solid foundations of discipleship with one another. Will you help me? Because here's the thing, you're not strangers anymore, Paul says. You know Jesus. You're not strangers. He says this in Ephesians, Ephesians uh, chapter two. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the eyes of the Lord. You are being built together to become a dwelling in which the spirit of the living God lives in you. You are a disciple. You might feel inadequate and that's okay because you will learn, I will teach you, we will all teach you together. We will teach each other together. And I like to teach by acting on it. So Pastor Brian, would you come up here and help me with something? 
we're going to get our hands dirty. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. We've got Jesus here. He's our chief cornerstone. And this is real stone. This is not, that did sound kind of fake. <laughs> okay. We're going to get our hands dirty. And um, because you're our lead pastor, I'm going to show you how to do this. Look at that. This looks delicious. <laughs> Would you lay the first stone? Do you want to put some on my stone? What I want to represent with this image is that Christ is our foundation. There you go. I'll leave this one here. Christ is our foundation. He has been faithful of leading us together, hasn't he? He's been so faithful and so good leading us. And we are now establishing a new layer as the people of God here at PFN for what a discipleship pathway will look at for such a time as this. We are not building on sinking sand nor the philosophy of man or the next new fad or whatever the new line of thinking is on social media or what the news says or whatever the world says, what we live in. We are building on a solid foundation. And so as you laid that piece there, as we witness this together, let's just see what God's about to do as we come under his authority, that we listen and obey, that we learn and teach and instruct. We will build each other up and join together in the mission of making Christ-like disciples in all of the nations by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in that? Amen. Awesome. Amen. Will you pray us out? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our chief cornerstone that everything that we do is built around you. Lord, may you bless this endeavor. Lord, this isn't just something that uh, PFN made up or the Church of the Nazarene made up when we decided to be NDI, NDI instead of SDMI. It's not something we just came up with ourselves here when we uh, had Pastor Callie be our discipleship pastor. Lord, this is your plan this is your plan for PFN. This is your plan for your church. And Lord, thank you for already blessing us with the one that would lead us into this new, new day, this new era for us, that we take discipleship seriously here. 
And we can disciple that neighbor. We can disciple that coworker. We can disciple that person that's sitting in the pew next to us. And Lord, may your blessings fall upon PFN. May your blessing fall upon Pastor Callie as she helps us to understand what this is, what it will look like in each of our lives. And Lord, we will give you all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor for what's going to happen. For Lord, I see represented within this room today. I see family members that you have been praying for for years come to know Jesus Christ. Lord, I see wives that will get their husbands back, husbands that will get their wives back, parents that will get that prodigal son or that prodigal daughter back once again. Lord, help us in what we're doing. Bless us in this because this is your plan. This is your design. And Lord, we just lay all of this into your feet. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We praise you for what you're going to do through the lives of all of those that are here and those that are watching even online. Lord, may you be blessed. Thank you for your blessing. It's in your name and your wonderful name that we pray. And all of the church said together, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.